Through the lens of loving local and seeing global, we obsessively search for people whose stories need to be told and how OKC played a supporting role. Hosted by Katherine Bexton and Emmy Cobes, welcome to Action City. Emmy, I know in the show, we talk a lot about all the places we love to go in Oklahoma City, all the shops, all the restaurants, the parks. One of the things that you have to have in order for those places to be able to operate their businesses is it's all commercial real estate. It's it's buildings and standalone locations that are owned by landlords that need to get those place, places rented out. Mind you, some people may own their own buildings, but some people need to buy and sell those buildings. Some people need to rent them. But how do you figure out what the best location is for you? When I bought Greta Sloan, all these people kept telling me I needed to move and I needed to get a different space. But there was something I really loved about Nicholas Plaza. So what I did when I bought Greta was I sort of listened to those people in that I thought I should look around and see what other spaces are available in the market. And so I called my friend Barry Murphy, whom I've known since college. He married my very best friend from growing up. And so I've known him since I was 18 years old. So he was the first person that I called. He's in the commercial real estate business in Oklahoma City. He has been doing this, oh God, at least 15 years. He's an expert. He does office. He does retail. He does industrial I called Barry. Barry took me to all the spots where I could possibly take Greta. And guess what he helped me figure out? He helped me figure out that Nicholas's Plaza was the best place for it. And I kept it there. So he didn't feel like he needed to put me into a building just to put me into a building. He really helped me answer the hard question of my business of where was the best location. And then from there, my husband is a lawyer and he has his own law practice and he likes to move around a lot as well. And so of course, he calls Barry to help him with his office needs. And re- the most recent building that he's in, my husband is now in this building called the Barry Law Building, or the I think that's called the Barry Law Building, actually, down on at like 19th and Classen. And Barry Murphy helped him find that building as well. He helped him negotiate the contract. And he, my husband ha- loves this building. It's perfect for him. It's historical. He feels like right at home there. And so I... Just I can't say enough great things about Barry Murphy. He works for Cushman Wakefield. I think if anybody's looking for somebody to help them with their commercial real estate needs, I think you should definitely reach out to Barry. His phone number, you can reach him on his cell, 405-297-9913. Or you can reach him on his website, www.barrymurphy.net. So I highly recommend him. So Barry, thanks so much for sponsoring our podcast. We love you. Emmy. Hi, Catherine. Here we are. And I guess we've presumably made it through Christmas Eve and Christmas, and we've made it all the way to New Year's Eve. Yes. The last podcast of 2020. 2020. It will definitely be a year that will go down in the history books. I mean, it really, I mean, it has the worst rap ever, I think. Literally. I can't. I keep thinking about what my grandmother, who was 97 when she died like a year and a half ago, what she would have thought about this year. I mean, because she was born in, I don't know, like 1918 or something. Oh, my gosh. No, she had to have been. Yeah, she would have been born in like 1918. So was she around for the, was that the Spanish flu? Yes. So she would have been around because the Spanish flu was 29. When was it? 
I, oh gosh. I think it was 29, maybe. Maybe it was in the middle of the Great Depression. So yes, she was alive for all of that, alive for both world wars. I can't, I'm dying to know. I wish I could ask her what she would have thought about 2020. I mean, the craziness. Yeah. I mean, I turned 30 on February 21st and I... I always say just after I turn 30, everything, everything went to shit. <laughs> Emmy. I'm like, but then I was like, you know, they say in your twenties, you, you know, break all the rules, whatever. And then in your thirties, you learn the lessons. And I'm like, all right, I've learned like, enough. I've got all the lessons. I've got all the more. lessons I need before I'm even 31. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, gosh, you really have had to grow up a lot in your 30th year. I mean, having two small ch- children during a pandemic was mm. kind of a, you know, a kick in the pants, I yeah. would say. <laughs> and now Campbell I know, is one. She's one. She's turned one. I can't. Well, I know. So last year for New Year's, we were in the hospital. Oh, were you there? Did you have a C-section? Did you? Have, mm-hmm. That's a lot of information for the podcast. That's Sorry. okay. Yeah. But so you had to stay more days. Yeah. And um, we had like snuck in champagne thinking we were going to like pop it at midnight, but we were both too exhausted to yeah. even drink. We were just like, <laughs> this is, we're like, what were we even thinking? You do have to sneak it in. We had to sneak in my friend Barry, whom I talked about, who's our sponsor for the podcast. Thanks, he, Barry. Thanks, Barry. He sneaked in some champagne because both girls were born at Lakeside. And I guess if it's close enough to a, to a church, I guess Lakeside isn't a religious uh, hospital, but if it's close enough to a church, maybe you're not allowed to have the alcohol. I don't oh, even know, but I remember he had to sneak it in. It was totally worth it. Yeah. I mean, we, it was actually cute. So I always get the nurses gifts. Um, organized like that. As I, you know, gift giving, it's my love language. God. So I don't know a better way to show so these what people. Did you get them? Like what's well, the... so with Huffman, I got them Route 66 soap. Um, oh, be- the soap that the gift mm-hmm. that keeps on giving. Because I, I was talking to a friend who's a nurse and she was, just, she was like, please just don't bring donuts or like, you know, crappy yes. food. She's like, we get that all the time and we're sick of it. And all of us are trying to be healthy. And so I was trying to think of a good self-care little thing. So I, I did Route 66 soap and then face masks. And then I did little headbands that said 2020. Go oh, good. Those are in the trash. Which, now, by the way, yeah, <laughs> those I lit those on fire. <laughs> yeah, well, because I felt bad if they're working on a holiday. I know, on a holiday. Yeah. So, but it was. I mean, at least they're working with little babies. Yes, and they get to see the joy of baby being born. Yes. Is Campbell's birthday the twenty seventh? No, 20th? her birthday is the thirtieth. Thirtieth. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The thirtieth. Mm-hmm. That's always fun. My sister's is the twenty seventh, and Jim's is January sixth, and. Oh, his is, that was my, my dad or my mom's dad's birthday oh, really? and my uncle David's birthday. It's kind of. And George Mason's re- birthday. And George Mason's <laughs> Shout out to George well, Mason. Shout out to George Mason. I only know that because it's like growing up. I, know, I knew you remember like all these people's people. birthdays. Yeah. But it's hard to remember the 27th and the 6th. It's my sister's 40th birthday this year. And that makes me feel exceptionally old because she, no matter how old she gets, she always feels 20 to me. Yeah. And I have a really hard time realizing that she's an actual grown up. Yeah, I know how the after Christmas birthday is kind of, we're just going to let down. Yeah. Well, we're just every year. We're just kind of trying to make it really special, I guess. Cause that's sweet. You know, cause you're not completely exhausted after Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Cause why not add <laughs> why more to our plates? Another- My friend Lara always says her husband is from Canada and they, she always used to have a party for boxer day. Oh, boxing day. Boxing day. Is yeah. it the day after Christmas? And she would have a big, I think it's I believe the 26th. So. She'd have a big rager at their house and I could never figure out how she got it done. 
Yeah. Well, your parents too. Oh, my crazy parents. They would have a big party on the 26th of Christmas, which I actually find really crazy because my mom is not the most on-time person you've ever met in your entire life. And we normally open Christmas presents on the 27th because somehow she can't get it together by the 25th, (laughs) which as Jim says, it comes on the same day every year. So we don't, it's not like it just sprung up. So I don't know how she would have a party for a hundred plus people on the 26th. I I need to sit her down and like ask her how she made that happen. Maybe that was more of the priority than Christmas. Well, obviously it's all, well, yes, there's always things that are more of a priority than Christmas. Usually on Christmas morning. So we always have a big breakfast. We would have mm-hmm. a big breakfast at my parents' house growing up, but now we have it at our house. But so we get up and we open presents, but my mom and dad spend the entire Christmas morning delivering presents to all their friends. My dad would get dressed up in his robe, his like snow boots, some sort of Christmas like decoration, like a Christmas garland or some crazy hat or whatever. And he would go in his pajamas and his robe and deliver presents to all their friends. Wait, that's so funny. I can't. <laughs> but I'm also not surprised <laughs> no, at not all. surprised. And they continue this tradition. I think he's ditched the crazy Christmas robe outfit, but they continue this tradition. But then, which means my kids wait patiently and wait patiently and wait patiently for them to arrive. And the past few years, they said, that's it. We're not waiting for Lulu and Gramps anymore. We're done with this. So <laughs> Christmas is crazy at our house. Yeah. Our, my, as- my little sister would like make, get us up at 630. Oh. She, she wanted, I mean, she, so we always had to wait at the top of the stairs. And yes, then, you know, we did. Yes, we did too. Have to wait. And then my parents would be like, all right. And she, I, I swear I've never seen her run so fast in <laughs> my like, life. I know you can do it. As Christmas morning. <laughs> She would just like you can run. bolt down the stairs. <laughs> I'm like, where did she even go? My yeah. favorite thing as a parent is I, you know, I, I have now that we have our phones and we can video on our phones, obviously mm. I video them doing unwrapping the presents. So, I mean, I've gone to bed at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. It is, I'm exhausted. I've made them at least wait till I tell them I can't come down till seven. I get my camera out to video the entire thing. The stocking takes. 42 seconds. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I have spent countless hours and God only knows how much money filling these stockings. Right. 42 seconds. And then the actual like Santa Claus takes, I don't know, maybe three or four minutes. And the unwrapping of the other presents takes 20 minutes. So, I mean, in under an hour, it's gone, done. See, my parents make us... Like we go in an order from oldest or youngest to oldest and you have to watch the other person open their presents. Well, yes, we do have, you have to watch. I do think okay, that's, but okay. it still doesn't take that. I, it yeah. just goes and I, I, it's hard to swallow. So Jeff and I started our own tradition last year oh, that it? while we're like getting, you know, Santa ready. Oh gosh. I hope no one's kids are listening. Don't let your kids listen to our podcast. Yeah. Um, but uh, we watch Die Hard and drink. Oh, stop. <laughs> like, <laughs> so that's become our tradition is like while we're, you know, putting together the 84 Whatever. piece, oh, the you know, kitchenette or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, kitchenette yeah or exactly. basketball goal. Or- yeah. We, uh, we watch Die Hard and we like, you know, oh, have a cocktail. <laughs> so. I have to say there, there haven't been many years where Jim has stayed up to help me. Oh, One year really? we put together a trampoline, but like a mini trampoline. It was way more difficult than you would think. One year there was a basketball goal that Santa had to end up just putting the net under the tree because it's too <laughs> difficult to put together. Oh, he did put a ping pong table together once. See, Jeff's it was an missing engineer. A lot of parts. See, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. So this is his Super Bowl. It's like you want me to put together, you know, presents. Whoops. 
I feel like I've messed yeah, up. Yeah, you just did that. Catherine, don't touch your cord. <laughs> don't touch my cord. Okay, wait, I'm not going to touch it. I think it. it's okay, okay now. We'll take that part out. But, um, the, but the putting together of the... Oh, yeah, this is like, as, he's like, here I am. Here, I'm I'm my, here are my gifts. I honestly like always offer him up to all of my friends who are married <laughs> whose husbands that, sure. aren't very handy because he's super handy. I mean, he's built things. Oh, yeah, putting together something is like... Jim is handy to a point. He gets it like 90% of the way there, but that last 10% that seems to be really important sort of gets left out. Like there's always some sort of rigged up system that ends up failing later. That's like, I I don't really understand. I can appreciate, I feel like I'm probably similar to that. Probably. Oh my God. Okay. This makes me thank you guys. My brother on his Instagram. (laughs) So my brother on his Instagram yesterday put a picture of like a leaf blower that he had taken apart oh, no. on a giant like table outside of his of in his backyard. And his quote was like adult ADHD at its finest. And then in quotes, it was like his wife saying, Rusty, can you go blow the leaves out of the corner of the backyard? And then next thing you know, he's taken the entire leaf blower apart. It's in like 50 different parts. And he's now like, all she wanted was for the leaves to be picked up. And I was laughing so hard. I couldn't even take it. I mean, I, that's I so like, true. So true. And that's kind of what happens at our house. Like, so this is genetic in mm-hmm, your family. It's very genetic. Yes. I. <laughs> well, I am excited to talk to you more about your family. So this is kind of part two. Of our little two-parter where Catherine interviewed me last week and then today I get to interview her, which is exciting. So Yeah, you get to know us. I don't know how exciting we are, but I, I hope mean, Amy does a better job than I did. I let it go on because I was so excited to ask you all the questions. I let it go well, on. Well, I'm excited to ask you too. <laughs> I'm assuming you were born in Oklahoma City. I was born in Oklahoma City at St. Anthony's Hospital. Okay. In on November thirteenth, nineteen seventy three. Nineteen seventy three. I mean, that's how old I am. I mean, I guess that makes sense because I'm 1990. Okay. I was a sophomore in high school. So you could be Laurel, I, and I could be Rory. Exactly. I could have had a baby. Yeah. (laughs) I could have had a teenage baby. (laughs) Um, Okay. So did you start at Cassidy? No. We, okay. So my dad went to Cassidy. Okay. So, but we started, we lived down on 20th street right off of Classen, And for some reason I, we started at Westminster. So I went to Westminster in three day, five day kindergarten, first grade. My first grade teacher was so progressive then that we got to call our first grade teacher by her first name. And oh my gosh. Millie. And I just remember that she was the coolest cat you've ever met in your whole life. And the fact that we got to call her Millie. I mean, so I think that maybe my mom had grown up in LA, so she was kind of progressive, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was the, I guess, Westminster's where you sit in your kids if you were. Yeah. It was kind of known as hippie. the hippie school. Yeah. yeah so if you were a hippie, that's where you sent your kids. So we went to Westminster. I went through first grade. Okay. So second grade, I came to Cassidy and my sister came to Cassidy in first grade. So she was a lifer as we discussed last week. We're not supposed to say that anymore. So I was not a lifer. I came in the second grade mm-hmm. and, and, and I don't know what, Oh, well we moved from the house on 20th closer to Cassidy. And so I don't know if we just, my mom just thought it was easier 
or if my dad, I, I don't know. I guess I've never asked them. Maybe I should ask why they moved or why they started at Westminster. <laughs> well, so what was like, so you go, you switch schools. I switch schools. Do you remember like that transition? I do actually. And I don't really remember that much from growing up. But so my mom's, one of my mom's very best friends was a teacher in second grade. Oh, okay. And at that time at Cassidy, they had the classes divided like the smart kids, the middle smart kids and the not so smart kids. Yep. Clearly they don't do it like that anymore. Okay. That was just a sign of the times. And obviously what they thought meant you were smart, maybe didn't really mean that. But so I didn't know how to write in cursive because Westminster didn't teach you how to write in cursive. So I had to go into the middle smart class. Mm. And I can remember that I had to stay after school to learn how to write cursive so that I could get moved up to the smart class, which would be with my mom's friend who was teaching. And so I eventually learned how to write cursive and I got moved up to the, to that class. And I can, so the, what, so I remember that part and the other part, oh gosh, they used to give deficiencies. If you did something bad, a deficiency, a deficiency. it was like a piece of paper. It was maybe like a yellow piece of paper with, it was like a carbon copy and you know, they'd write on the yellow piece of paper, like what you had done that was not nice or what, you know, and then I think one piece would go home with you and the other piece they like kept in your file. And so there was a girl in our class. I won't say her name, but she, I don't know where she is now, but I, I wasn't very nice. And I told her that she smelled and that she needed to take a bath and I got a deficiency. <laughs> I have been trying to overcome that ever since then. I've been trying to be a nice person since then. But so I remember the learning how to write cursive and telling this girl that she smelled and needed to take a bath. And I got my yellow piece of paper sent home. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've been on a road to improvement ever since then. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's like a deficient. Did you get sent to the office too? Or was that not? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure I was sent to the office all the time. So, okay. So that's lower school, middle school. Is that kind of when you middle discovered school. field hockey possibly? Well, okay. So my mom, remember we were talking to Lance and Lance was saying that his mom, they tried everything. Yeah. They did everything. So then when they were grown up, they could decide what they wanted to do. My mom was a little bit like that. I mean, any activity that she could put us in, we were in. I don't even know how she kept it all straight. And I mean, we did soccer and swimming and horseback riding and ballet and Because you piano. have how many siblings? Well, there are four of us. Yeah. But my, I think that maybe... So my little sister's like seven years younger than I am. And my little brother's eight, like seven, six and a half and seven. And oh, a half okay. Or so, so they're much younger than I am. Pretty big gap. Yes. Yeah, so, but I mean, we did every activity you could ever possibly But still having do. two toddlers and while you're driving your eight or nine year old around. Yes. I think she might've had some help at home. But thank God, because I mean, I as we've discussed, yeah. we're not the most organized in my family. So, <laughs> so we did every sport imaginable. And in the summer, as we've also discussed, when I coached Emmy, well, I guess you listened to Emmy's episode. So you know that I coached Emmy on the swim team, but I did the swim team in the summers. Yeah. And one, you know, we'd have like the all city swim meet at the end of the summer and the club swimming team in town would somehow get involved with the all city swim meet. Well, I'm sure they come and scope out, they scope out the talent. Yeah, and so to... <laughs> one year, maybe when I was like eight, they came and I don't know, we won all the events at the all city, which is not saying much, but the swim coach at the club team, you would get this like little 
ticket that would say one free week of swimming with Kermagee. If you won with Kermagee, that's what it was called. Now it's called King Marlin. So my mom, of course, let's sign up for another activity. So she dropped us off at swimming. And when I was probably eight years old and I... I guess it was, it was discovered that I was really good at swimming. So really swimming was my sport. That's so interesting. So I spent a lot of hours with my face buried in the swimming pool. And so in middle school, I mean, I spent most of my time going to school swimming, but I did, I played all the school sports. So in seventh grade, I started playing field hockey and I loved playing field hockey. So I, I always made sure that so I you could did field, field hockey. hockey swimming. And then what was your spring sport? Well, in middle school, field hockey, soccer and track. Oh, soccer. Yeah, soccer. But then in high school, our swimming coach at Kermagee was also the Cassidy swim coach. So I wasn't allowed to play soccer. So in high school, it became swimming. And, but so, I mean, I was swimming every day after school in the summer, you went at five 30 in the morning and you went in the afternoon again, swimming meets every weekend. Wow. So my life is dedicated to swimming, but I remember that I really, a lot of people talk about how they didn't love middle school. I loved middle school. You did like the most fun group of girls and of boys. Like I found a picture the other day of my friend Caroline's 11th birthday. And I will always remember this picture. We were sitting on this brick wall in her backyard next to her swimming pool. And they were like, 12 of us in the picture and every, I mean, we all like had on like little tube socks and we all kind of had on the same outfit like they do now. But yeah. I remember that. And it was only her 11th birthday. I was thinking that we were more like 13, but we we weren't. So we had the most fun group of girls. That's good. I had a best friend that was, you know, I loved her parents. We were at her house all the time. I wasn't swimming. I was at her house and we, I loved it. So you didn't like the awkwardness of middle school kind of never really was a well, part of your experience or I you just kind of, I mean, I think it was like, uh, but I, I mean, don't it kinda, I guess it defining is yeah. my experience. I That's really good. remember more Having fun. Having fun. And that's good. I mean, what about academically? Well, I think I must have had pretty good grades. Of course, my mother saved all my report cards, but it wasn't. I mean, I remember working hard in school, but it wasn't always, it wasn't a challenge. Like middle school kicked my butt. It It was hard. Yeah. But I mean, I think it was just, I I could see though some of my friends who were excelling. And the, I think yeah. it was probably a little bit not easier, but you know, I, I think, think it maybe has gotten harder since I was there too. But I mean, yeah. I well, maybe it, not. It was though. a lot of work. I do remember being really tired because yeah, I, sw- I mean, it's a lot of swimming, and mm-hmm. I remember being tired, but I don't remember it being that difficult. So, what was like? You go to high school. You have all these great friends. Was that? Did you love high school? Same sort of experience, or well, was I did love high school? I. I can, let's see, freshman year. I can remember yeah, what freshman, was freshman year. We used to, did you guys have the bonfire? As uh, did When you were freshmen, did the seniors host a bonfire that you had to go to? Okay. No. So the, the freshman parents put together a party after the football oh, games because yes. they thought that that would keep us from drinking and then we'd all be together. Gotcha. Well, that did not, that was not the case. When well, we were freshmen. But, but our, we, yeah. our parents did get together and band together to saying that we weren't allowed to go to the bonfire. Oh. So... And the senior boys would pick freshman girls to sit on their laps and sing like a song to you. The girl would have to sing a song to the boy. But really, I mean, it's field hockey freshman year. I loved so much. I have to, I mean, I, in the whole scheme of things, playing field hockey, I loved more than swimming. But we, I remember we played field hockey. Um, 
I got to go to SPC. Our conference championships was like a big deal. So do you go to, so you made varsity freshman year? Yes, but only at the end, you know, at the Mm. end, they like pick two Mm -hmm. people to come. So my friend Sarah and I got to go and then we played again sophomore year. I think, I think we won SPC one of those two years, maybe not freshman year because I get to SPC and I'd forgotten my uniform. (gasps) How embarrassing is that? It wasn't like I was going to play anyways, but I'd forgotten my uniform. I will remember that forever. And then, so I just, I just, so some uh, some bumps, but not some like bumps, but not yeah. I do not I do anything remember, too devastating. No, nothing too devastating. I do remember I would stay up because it was I was so tired. I would stay up doing my homework, and I would wake up like at three o'clock in the morning with all the lights on. I'm still have all my clothes on with my books scattered all over the place. So I was never really. So you were still academically exceeding. Well, but I didn't. I wasn't working ahead. Let's just put it. That oh, way. Okay, I was sort of a procrastinator. Which is defined. I was going to say, that's defines my whole life. I'm still I wouldn't. I don't Once know. A procrastinator always a procrastinator. I don't know. If the pro- procrastinator has a negative connotation to it that I don't think applies <laughs> to you. I think though that you are very on your toes. I, yes, I definitely at all times. like when I come into Greta to see you. You are doing you like somebody is there making sure you're hitting a deadline, which I think is so funny because I know how smart you are, and so it's just like. It, I think I for you, it's like, an evolving door of just yes, like just yeah. stuff to do. I'm not, I'm going to try to maybe in 2021, start trying to work ahead a little more. Yeah. But then in, so in the middle of my sophomore year. Yeah. Is this when you decide to go to Deerfield? Yeah. So I had this boyfriend that oh, my gosh. parents didn't love. At Cassidy? Yes. Let's hope he's not listening to this podcast. My parents didn't love him. And my I had my godparents' daughter had gone to boarding school, and then another friend of theirs, who who's from Oklahoma City, he had gone to, but they had both gone to Deerfield, which yeah. is where I ended up going to school. And my parents thought it'd be a really good idea to send me to boarding school. My dad had gone to college on the East Coast; he went to Yale, so he knew a lot of people who had gone to boarding school. So it wasn't like a foreign concept to them, right? So they said that to get me away from this boy, they suggested that I apply to boarding school, and they sold it as. Deerfield had always had a really great swimming team. Oh. And so I would be able to swim at Deerfield. Now, I went the second year that they had girls because Deerfield was an all boys school. 1989 to 1990 was the first year they had girls. Really? Yes. So it was lucky. Luckily for me, I was a swimmer and I was a girl. So that was like a double whammy. So it was easier to get in. So they sort of recommended that I apply. And I can remember like I turned the application in late. Now, mind you, you could never do this now. And Luckily that the admissions officer, the admissions director was also this girl's swimming coach. Oh my gosh. So, so I, she wanted you. It was actually a guy. Oh, a and guy. so his name was Mr. Tyler. And so he would, he would call me on the phone and be like, are you coming? Are you coming? Are you coming? And finally, this is kind of how I operate. I can remember it was like the middle of May and I just wanted him to stop calling because I didn't want to have to really think about it. Finally, he called and I was like, I'll be there. Just, just stop calling me. I'll be there in September. So for junior year. For junior year. So I went to boarding school junior and senior Did you year. break up with the boyfriend? Well, I always had lots of boyfriends going at once, but I took, I went, <laughs> the boyfriend and I were still dating when I got to Deerfield. But, but then quickly, eventually, yeah, yeah. Yeah, eventually we grow. We Wait, that's up. so funny. <laughs> so, but for you, like, obviously your parents are like wanting you to experience something different. Yes. In your mind, it was more just like. Like you were just okay with leaving or? Well, I, okay. When I was a freshman in high school, there was a 17 magazine article that came out about fashion at boarding schools. Oh. So my best friend and I were enamored with boarding school. We thought that that was like the coolest thing of all time. And we couldn't get away from our parents fast enough. So my, my 
friend Tara actually went to boarding school our sophomore year, but she only lasted like a week and she came home. And so I think that we just had this idea, idea of this utopia of teenagers all being together in one place in a beautiful setting and cute outfits and I thought that that would be so. You you were writing the premise for the show Gossip Girl. Exactly, it was like how could I you know turn myself into a Seventeen magazine article? So I really had wanted to go, but I didn't because of swimming. And you know, I mean, it's kind of scary. I'm from Oklahoma. Nobody from Oklahoma goes to boarding school. Everybody thinks that if you go to boarding school, you must have done something bad. And why I went to Howard Bound. There we go. It's why I was at Howard Bound. So I, but I. I think I knew that there was a bigger world out there. And, you know, at the time, I think, as I've said, nobody came and went from Oklahoma. No. It was the same people. And I loved those people. But it was, you were a doctor, a lawyer, or you owned your own business. Mm -hmm. Your friends were your friends for life. And you were going to grow up and marry somebody that you went to high school with. And you were going to live, you know, down the street from your parents, which by the way, I live down the street from my parents say, now. Um, that would be both, <laughs> that would both, be of, both us. of us. And so I think I just wanted to see what, what there was in the world. And I knew that I didn't want to go to college in Oklahoma. I knew I wanted to go to college. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons I kept swimming because I knew that swimming would help me get into the best school that I could possibly get into. So. I also do think Cassidy does a good job of encouraging people to leave Oklahoma. Yes, yes. I, think I mean, they just do a great sidebar, but I do and think they that definitely they... did a great job when when I was there. But I can, I, I, I just can remember feeling like I wanted to see the world. Yeah. So you, what's you get to Deerfield? I get to Deerfield. Um, it was I loved it. It was hard because the like culture the, shock. Well, I mean, I guess it was kind of culture shock. I mean, New England is totally different from yeah. Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. They asked if I had TVs and if I slept in a teepee. Okay. And you're like, I yes. Mean, and I people? ride my yes. horse to school. Uh, exactly. And I ride my horse to school, but I mean, there were people from all over the world there. Mm. It was, there were lots of people from the middle East. Um, not as many people from Asia, but a very large contingency from the middle East. And so in a way it was sort of eye opening. I mean, I, I yeah. um, I had an opportunity to meet people from all different walks of life and from all over the world. I mean, the majority of the people were from New York and Boston and, you know, so academically was super challenging. Let me just tell you, I think that because they could pick the smartest and the brightest from all over the country, you know, maybe at Cassidy, we had 10 people in our grade that would, that would have go to IVs or yes. And at Deerfield, it was, let's say 90% of the class at Cassidy's 10% of the class, right. 90% of the class. So, you know, at Cassidy, I was passing notes and chit chatting with my friends and, you know, we were living it up and I got to Deerfield and realized that every single person there was wanted to go to an Ivy league and every person was motivated to study and to learn. And yeah. And so it was a little bit of a culture shock in that way. Um, but did you feel more like these are my people or did you miss passing notes? No, I I think that I don't think I missed passing notes. I I think I I think I was I realized that my parents had been right all along and that an education opens up doors that that you maybe wouldn't that wouldn't be as easy to open without an education. So I really did now I was still procrastinating, let's be serious. I was still, you know, staying up till three in the morning trying to get all my work done. But I realized that it was cool to be doing that as opposed to maybe at Cassidy, it wasn't at the time cool to be smart. Now, what I've realized later is 
all these fancy schools that you can go to don't really determine what you're going to do in life. I, I also um, agree with that. So, I mean, you know, well, so the, speaking of fancy schools, you, you go to Georgetown, correct? I go to Georgetown. Is Georgetown um, Ivy? No, it's not. But it's like, I mean, it's probably as close as you can get. Well, it's probably the next tier below, but the real kicker was, so I, when I was at Deerfield, I stopped swimming year round. I mm. only swam during swimming season, but I still was, had been a good enough swimmer that I could probably, I mean, I couldn't have gone to Stanford or Texas, but I could have gone to like the swimming schools right below that. So mm -hmm. my senior year, my senior year, my junior year, I got to go on the, you know, you go on these trips, they invite you to go visit all these different schools. They want you to come swim for them. So I got to go on, on all my college visits, looking at the swim teams. And what I really realized was that I was going to use swimming to go to the best school I could possibly go to. I wasn't going to go to the best swimming program. I wanted to go to the best school I could go to. So um, I thought it was field hockey. Why did I? Well, okay. So, so okay. I was much better at swimming than I was at field hockey. Field hockey was, I mean, I played field hockey all in high school. I would, I wanted to play field hockey in college, but field hockey was not going to get me into college. So gotcha. swimming was going to get me into college. So I, I ended up only applying to four schools. Where'd you apply? I applied to UVA, Georgetown, Princeton, and Yale. Okay. And my college counselor at Deerfield said the only place you're going to get in is Yale because my dad had gone to Yale and I was like oh god I definitely don't want to go there I'm only applying because my dad told me to and it was the reverse I didn't get into Yale but I got into the other three places so needless to say when it came down to pick a college my dad said I said I could have picked between Princeton Georgetown and UVA and my dad said oh well you have got great schools to pick from I'm, I'm excited to learn what you're going to choose yeah so, so I, Yale didn't even matter no so he was yeah. you know I think that he was sad a little bit but at the same time so I came and I said I'd like to go to Georgetown he goes oh wrong choice pick again because he wanted me to go to Princeton, Princeton. Mm -hmm. I would I would say like if you're going on based on well, because Princeton's an Ivy yes Princeton is an Ivy yeah and you know that was his either growing up it was you go to Harvard Princeton Yale or OU my dad's like I'm not paying for you to go to any other school except for Harvard Princeton or Yale I mean, he clearly he's, you know, softened a little bit since so then. But. You decide to go to Georgetown. What made you pick that over the other two? Well, I think it was a combination of things. Um, I once again, I had this I, I never would have picked Georgetown necessarily, except for I had a lot of people from Deerfield went to Georgetown, like my year, 11 people from Deerfield in a class of 200 went to Georgetown. So it was a big feeder school. Yeah. And kinda I had like this TCU boyfriend. Cassidy. Yeah. Kind of like <laughs> TCU and Cassidy. I had this boyfriend who had gone to Georgetown. He was in the class above mine. So I went to go visit him and I loved it. I had never lived in a city and I always wanted to live in a city. So Deerfield's out in the middle of nowhere in Massachusetts mm. and Georgetown is has its own campus, but it's smack dab in the middle of Washington, D.C. Right. And I loved that feeling. I did. And that's one of the reasons I didn't end up picking Princeton or UVA because they weren't in a city. I just wanted to have that experience. And I really could have cared less about sororities. My mom had been a theta, but it really wasn't a big deal necessarily in our house. So I wasn't yeah. dying to be in a sorority. Um, I didn't care about college football necessarily. So I wasn't dying to have a co big college football team. In fact, at Georgetown, I never went to one basketball game the entire time I went to school there. Oh, so, and they're really good. Right? And they were really good. Allen Iverson was there and we were there. Oh, no way. Yeah. So I never went to one game. So I, I think I just I knew that Georgetown was going to be a better fit for me than Princeton. I thought Princeton was going to be an extension of boarding school. Now, mind you, I have some two of my closest friends went to Princeton and I, I, I love yeah. them. Um, but I think Georgetown was just a better 
a better fit for me. And even like two years later, my dad looked at me and he's like, I'm so glad you picked Georgetown instead of Princeton. Well, there you so, go. That made me feel better. So, what so I was, went to Georgetown. Yeah. And when I got there, I knew I really wanted to play field hockey. That was the mm. other thing. I probably could not have played field hockey at Princeton or at UVA. So I walked onto the field hockey team and ended up playing field hockey. I was supposed to swim. I swam for one week and realized I couldn't swim and play field hockey all at once. And I didn't want to wake up at five o'clock in the morning for swim practice. So I abandoned swimming my freshman year at Georgetown, I can remember that my mom would call and say, well, how was swimming today? And I'd be like, oh, it was great. Oh, how was your first meet? Oh, great. I swam great. No problem. But the whole time I was lying, I lied for like a month to my mother. Why? I don't know. Because I was so stressed to tell her that I had quit swimming. I was worried that she was going to be frustrated that mm-hmm. I didn't follow through on my commitment at Georgetown. But I felt like I was... Well, I, you kind of swapped. I swapped. I mean, I was still contributing to the life of the school by playing field hockey. Yeah. But, so I played field hockey all four years. What was your like social life at Georgetown? It was, I mean, it was very different from, I guess, probably yours, right? There were no sororities. There were no football games. There were no, like, we went to bars. We went to people's houses. Yeah. I had a really great group of friends. So my, my. You were drinking Merlot and not Franzia. Well, I don't know if we were drinking Merlot, (laughs) but we were definitely, we thought we were really. Yeah. Highbrow. Yeah. I think we thought that it was, I, I lived with, um, the same my freshman year roommate, we lived together all four years. And then we added two more people our sophomore year. And then we added four more people our senior year. So we, we, we had this whole group of girls that stayed together and there was another house of girls of like seven girls that were all still friends. And, um, so you kind of created your own little, yeah, I had, we had our own little sorority and the, at Georgetown, you apply to a specific school. So I had applied to the business school, which mm. also made my dad mad because he thought I should have a liberal arts education. So interesting. I got my degree in finance and Georgetown is a very big feeder for wall street. And there, there wasn't a big, a big push for entrepreneurship. It was finance, finance, finance. You're just going to go wall street. You're going to go work at a big bank. Mm -hmm. And you're, so I, my junior year, I had a internship at a bank in New York at Smith Barney. I don't know what it is now, but it was like bought by travelers and a bunch of other people. So I had an internship at Smith Barney and they asked me to come. They gave me a job for after college. And that was a job everybody wanted. I mean, every single person in my finance program wanted to go work at Goldman or Smith Barney or Deutsche Bank or whatever it was. And I had that job. Mind you, the whole time I thought to myself, I hate this job. I was going to say, that's what happened to my friend, Nicole. She got there and she was like, I hate working until 9 p.m. I hate getting to the office at, you know, 6, 37 a.m. I mean, she was never, I mean, you know, and then after work at nine, you go out. Like she was just saying the lifestyle is just, it's awful. awful. I couldn't couldn't take it. And really the whole time, guess what I wanted to do fashion, but I didn't know how to do that. And there was no, yeah. Well, in New York, I'm sure you saw it and you were like, but I didn't know how to get into it. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know, I didn't really know that it was a business. I mean, we just didn't have that much access to sort of information when I was, you know, in 1996, right. You couldn't Google, you know, fashion jobs. So I went to do investment banking, which is what everybody wanted to do. But I was there for, six months. I hated every second of it. I really didn't like the people. I didn't like the job. I was terrified. I didn't think I knew what I was doing. Now, I think I would have figured it out eventually, but the stress was too much. And I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm going to get a job in fashion. So after six months, I quit and I moved to San Francisco and I knew that the Gap was headquartered in San Francisco and I was going to figure out how to work for them, a way to get a job at the Gap. And I mean, I figured it out and Ended up working at the Gap in San Francisco for 
four years. What did you do? What was your job title or job My, titles? So I was, because I had a background in finance, I went into what the distribution and planning. Planner. I yeah. was a planner. Oh, so yeah. I started out in distribution. Those, those are the numbers ladies. Those are the numbers ladies. I started out in distribution. Or, or guys. Yes, or guys. We had lots of guys in our group too. Yeah. Because the the sort of feeder to get into corporate was you had to start working in a store. Right. And then eventually they would move you up to corporate. But I, when I, I actually worked for Old Navy. And so when I interviewed at Old Navy, they really had never hired anybody that hadn't come from a store. Mm-hmm. Somehow, I don't know. I somehow got the job. Well, they're probably like, wait, this person who went to Georgetown and left their job in finance wants, <laughs> wants to come to work come here. Work gap. So I went. And so I just, I didn't, I knew nothing about what it meant to work in a store, but I, I could make an Excel spreadsheet and I could run some numbers. And I was, so I started out in distribution, which is basically figuring out how much inventory goes to each store. Yeah. Like how many sweaters go to how Oklahoma many city, go how to many city, sweaters go to exactly. Dallas, how many sweaters and then you go have to, to yeah. actually, you don't physically go pick the stuff from the warehouse, but you physically Did tell you have the to computer, go count or no, you'd have to tell the computer how to send the inventory. And right. we would have oh, these like gosh. giant printouts every day. We'd get a printout of all the inventory that existed in the system. And then you'd have to like hand key in these style numbers. It was the craziest thing. And you'd, your fingers would be going really fast and that would cut off like at six o'clock. You had to get all your distribution in there. So the warehouse would know what to do. I mean, it was, it was crazy, but I loved San Francisco so much. I had my, I ended up having two roommates. My friend Lee moved to San Francisco and she um, lived with me. And then my friend Cara, who actually is, we're talking about Barry again, but Barry, who's our sponsor of the podcast, his sister. Oh, okay. So the three of us lived in San Francisco together and we lived it up. I mean, that's so fun. So you start as a planner. Do you work your way up a little bit higher? Yes. So after nine months, I got promoted. Wow. To be, well, I was from distribution analyst. I got promoted to planner. Okay. And planning, I loved, I could literally do this all day long. I loved this job. It was basically figuring out how much inventory you needed to buy right. based on past sales yes. and based on what you think the trends are going right. to be. Da, da, yeah, da, da. Yeah. But I, I loved it. And then after I was planner and then like nine months later i got promoted to planning manager which okay and i was like 24 24 25 and every everybody you're working with was older yes they were all older and they all well maybe not all of them but they i had all these people that reported to me i was managing people which was i guess a big deal so i, I got to be a planning manager and then i decided to apply to business school so i applied to business school I applied to two business schools um i Got, I, I got into both of them, but wait, I, what was the other one? You, I applied to UVA again and, and then I applied to Stanford. Stanford. And I, I love Charlottesville so much. I was dying to go to UVA, but I had learned my lesson. You do not, if you get into Stanford, you don't turn it down. So, and it was only, you know, 45 minutes south of San Francisco. So I, after I applied to business school, I got in and I decided to go to Stanford. And I, but so I did like a summer program at the Gap in merchandising, which would have been sort of, it's like you take all the information from the designers and you make it saleable. So it was much more creative. Wait, and I loved cool. that as well. I loved that. So I got to do a merchandising and then I went to business school for two years. So you didn't work while you were in bu- I guess you can't. No, you probably. work in the summer. So, okay. oh my God, let me tell you, if you talk about where you find your people, like my actual like people in life, I mean, I love my college friends. I love my high school friends, but my people were my 
friends from Stanford and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law will make fun of me because I will tell them it amassed the finest group of people on earth (laughs) ever at any one time came together in my class at Stanford. And I mean, I had 30 best friends and we all ran out around together and they all came to my wedding. And I mean, I could call any one of them right now. And so, okay. Backing up while you're working for the gap, you meet Jim here. No, I didn't meet Jim. You said you were in, I remember. Oh yes. Okay. okay. I met Jim the summer before. Okay. I met Jim in the summer of 99. So it was the summer before I went to business, like a whole year before I went to business school. Okay. We didn't really start dating until the next summer. And so we, so you guys kind of like chatted that year. Yes. And he got drunk and bought an airplane ticket and it came to San Francisco to, to visit. We weren't dating. He just came to San Francisco to visit. So we really had our first date in San Francisco. We went to Alcatraz on our first date. You did? hysterical because he could watch any prison, sh- prison show you could ever imagine on yeah. TV. Yeah. And so we went to Alcatraz on our first, but we really didn't start dating till the next summer. Mm, okay. So, but like an idiot, I started dating someone from here, um, from here a month before I go to business school where you're going to see, I didn't know there were going to be like cute boys, cute boys who were normal and cool and smart. I didn't really totally understand that. <laughs> I would come home to visit, but he only came to visit us like one time. And then all my friends started making fun of me. Like Jim was a figment of my imagination. So he came one time and went skiing because in business school, you would have, you would, when you live in San Francisco, you have a house in Tahoe for the winter. Oh yeah. Well, that's It'd be like my, having yeah. a house in the Hamptons, mm-hmm. right? Like the kind of the same thing. So we yeah. had a house in Tahoe and every weekend we would go skiing. It was, oh, it was the best two years of my life. I loved it. So we'd play golf and when it got warm enough and we'd, you know, yeah. have dinner parties. I don't know how much studying I was doing, but I definitely had a great <laughs> but business life. school is all about experience. We did actually, while I was there, two friends of mine and I, we started the retail club because there really wasn't, I mean, Harvard oh, was more fun. of a place to go if you wanted to be in fashion, if you wanted to go work for LVMH or really, you know, oh yeah, you went to Harvard. That was the, that was the spot. Stanford didn't really have a, it was way more techie and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Based. Which I could, I could see and that, which, you know, technology is not my thing. So two <laughs> friends of mine, and I, we started the retail comp, the retail club. And the, our goal was to sort of get retailers or fashion or, you know, yeah. that type of job to come to Stanford to interview and to look at students from Stanford as potential employees. So, and I'm hoping that the retail club is still going. I don't know, but my two friends, one of them went and um, worked at Ron Herman for a really long time as the CFO. And now I think she's still there. She is the CEO of Fred Siegel in LA. Other, the other person that started the retail club with me, we went into business together. Oh, the handbag. Okay. Handbag company. And now she's the CEO of Claire V. Oh, that's right. Which is a bag company based in LA. So after business school, I went to go work for Lily Pulitzer. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if everyone knows what that is, but it started in the 60s by Lily Pulitzer. And it, Florida, East it's Coast. Florida, like Prince. And she started like, out of a lemonade stand because she's, you know, she had these frocks that she was wearing. She wanted to get lemonade on it and everyone wanted a frock, not a lemonade. So she started that. And I thought that when I interviewed with them, I was going to be moving to Palm Beach because that's where it started in Palm Beach. And as I got farther down the interviewing process, I realized that they were based in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, oh shit, which is known Sorry. for having the second biggest mall in America behind the mall of America. So I did not live in Palm Beach. I lived in, I lived in Philadelphia, actually downtown Philadelphia. And I had lived in New York and DC before that. So um, I was used to living in cities, but I absolutely loved Philadelphia. So did my mom. She lived downtown. She did. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. It was like, 
I just thought it was the coolest city. It was small. It was historical. Yeah. We lived on Delancey Street, which is like one of the oldest streets. It'd be like be- living on Beacon in Boston or something. Yes, it's yeah. like that. The streets yeah. were cobblestone. Cool. We lived in a house that was built in like 1752. It was so the original fireplace. I mean, it, I loved Philadelphia and I loved it because people from D.C. didn't stop and people from New York didn't stop. It was all Philadelphia people. Like it's kind of like the ugly stepchild of the East Coast, but I thought it was awesome. But, so did you not like Lily or? No, I loved Lily, but Jim and I were dating and yeah, we, um, I, uh, he interviewed for one job in Philadelphia, but he was in law school. He'd taken the Oklahoma bar. I knew he was never moving to Philadelphia. So I started a handbag company with my friend Molly mm-hmm. while I was working at Lily Pulitzer. That did not go over so well. <laughs> Learned a lot of lessons. Learned a lot of lessons. They do not appreciate when you're running a second business out of the oh. first business. Now, I think that now we have a totally different view on that, right? Everybody it would has be a side, side hustle. It's a side hustle, yeah. right? It was a side hustle. They did not take kindly to the side hustle. So did you get fired? So I basically got either you shut down your handbag business or, or you leave. Or you leave, yeah. And I knew I was going to be back to Oklahoma City anyways. So I didn't shut down the handbag business. I left Lily. But that was really wonderful. We I did business development for them. And then we Lily Poster has its own retail stores now. So I got to with well, one other guy. Well, you were guy. probably back in the heyday of people opening their own retail. Yes, our plan was to open like a hundred stores. Yeah, I, don't think, I think they have yeah. ten now. I don't know how many they have, but God, um, that, unfortunately, that bell curve is it's yeah, it's 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 um, on the other side. But I learned a lot in that job, mm-hmm. and um, the person that got, since after I got there, the two guys that that owned it at the time, they had gone to Harvard Business School, so they were they were they I guess understood the value of somebody with an MBA. So they had two people they hired after me that had gone to Harvard, and. When I left, one of them took my job and then ultimately down the road, crazy enough, she ended up, I worked for McCubbin Hosiery in Oklahoma City. Oh yeah. She took my job at McCubbin. Oh really? Uh-huh. And then she, now I think she's on the board at McCubbin now. Like she's, oh my gosh. so I just think that I love having, having gone all over the yeah, place. Yeah. So everything comes back together. So you move home. I'm assuming you get married. I move home. We get married. You have your babies. I have my babies. I still have this. I still have the handbag company. So I'm okay, yeah. handbag company. It's um. It was handbags for women who I think it was like luxury bags for women who lunch and work or something. It was like it was like really great bags for computers. And at the time, there was no iPhone. There was a BlackBerry, but there was no iPhone, and you still carried your computer everywhere. And there were no great looking computer bags out there. So every bag fit to co- fit a computer, and all the bags were named after ex boyfriends, oh and God. they all had stories that went along with the ex boyfriends. That's so funny. So we had that for about six or seven years, and then while I was doing that, and while I had Neely, I went to go work from a Coven hosiery because when you live in Oklahoma City, there's no fashion. Mm-hmm. That's why I started Scout Guy because I was yeah. like, "What am I going to do? What am I going to do?" Actually, McCubbin hosiery probably would have been. It would have been yeah. like the best spot. So they had a license to, they had the kids license mm-hmm. to make socks. And so in a way that was sort of fashioning. <laughs> I kind of thought that I would have a family, but I was not that person that was dying to have babies. Same. And I did. And I'm, and I'm so happy that I did, but I knew that that was not going to be my full-time job. Yeah, I agree. I think that I'm, I feel like you and I are in the same of like our expectations for motherhood might've been a little low. Mm-hmm. And now we've been <laughs> pleasantly surprised Yes, because yes, we enjoy true. it a lot more than we thought yeah. we would. But I think you are, we're the same in the sense of we, we need, there has to be an extension of ourselves other than our family, our family, exactly. which I think is fine. I mean, I, I I could never see myself going back to working in a cubicle. No, but no way. I 
could it not work? I don't think, mm-hmm. which I don't We're know if working. this counts. As- <laughs> this counts as working. Okay. We're working at this. But so I, so after having worked at S Design, I knew that I didn't want to leave fashion. Yeah. And I knew that the only thing I could do in Oklahoma City was to be to own a store. And yeah. I wanted to own a store since I was little. I mean, when I was little, I, you know, I, if there had been a job for a stylist, I would have had that job, but that job didn't exist. Oh, really you would have been so good. Ago. I don't know, but, but I would love to get all my friends dressed and my siblings dressed. Well, and, you basically are a stylist now. Well, I guess you're right, but not for like editorial. I think that's a whole different deal, but I will like, I'll style your, you for everyday life. Yeah. Which, which is fun. So I knew I wanted to work. I'd always wanted to own a store. Mm-hmm. My friend Lee had, was the second owner of Greta Sloan and she had two jobs and three kids. And I just looked at her one day and I said, that's it. You're going to sell Greta Sloan to me and I'm going to run it. And you, you just need one job. So is that six years ago? It would have been five years ago, five and a half years ago. So I bought it from her in July and I've never looked back. I have, I feel like every job that I've had leading up to this prepared me for this work. I, I knew exactly how to do all the buying because I had had my handbag company. So I knew how it worked from the other side. I'd kind of done some sales at Lily. So I knew how to do that. I knew how to do all the planning because yeah. I worked at the gap. I understood the, the merchandise the ratio. Brand. Yeah. I, branding. I mean, so yeah. I, the only thing I had not done is been in the service industry. I'd never worked in a mm. restaurant. I'd never worked in a store. So I didn't know whether or not I would like working with customers and like being in the same place all day long. Um, but I love it. I love what I was going to say, customers. is that your favorite part? Well, I will say when we had to shut down for five weeks, oh, it yeah. was the part that I miss the most. Yeah. Now the part that I miss now that my customers are back is actually going to market. Oh, right. Cause it has to be virtual. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I actually love my job is that it allows me to go and do things outside of Oklahoma city that I always loved about living in other cities. So going to market is I list like the top three reasons why I love having Greta Sloan going to market is one of them. And we go to New York at least three times a year. Sometimes I go to LA. I'm hoping next September we'll get to go to Paris. So I get to experience those cities the way I maybe once did when we li- when I lived there, but without actually living there. And I just, it gives me such energy. And so it it allows me to even love Oklahoma City more because I know I can have my opportunity in other cities, but I still get to come home and live in this great place. Well, and I think too, one of the reasons I love Greta so much, and this is just apart from you sort of, but I think I talk to a lot of my friends and people in my life and I just think that, and I'm not trying to talk badly about any other store necessarily. No, because I do love all of the stores in Oklahoma City for their own different reasons. But I think the reason I love Greta the most is because you are truly trying to bring things to Oklahoma City that you cannot find online, that you cannot find at other stores. And I think that a lot of stores will see something trendy or a line that's trendy and they'll try to get it and, you know, or get it from another store or whatever. And I think that you don't do that. I really try not to do that. Yeah. I think all of the designers that you see, I mean, yeah, some of them are notable, but a lot of them are new and, or like, I mean, you were the first one to fall in love with Copenhagen and that sort of style and bring it here. And I think that people don't understand the amount of thought that goes into it, um, especially finding a new line. 
Um, and I think you've done a really good job because a couple of the lines you've brought here and then they've gotten big. And that's my goal. I mean, you can't, it, you can't always have it happen exactly like that. But my goal is to find the lines that are going to be big in five years or are going to be big right. in 10 years. They're going to be the lines that people want to steal from me, but maybe they can't for one reason or another take the risk on it. But I love to take risks on new lines. It doesn't always work. And if you like kind of funky, crazy fashion, you can find a lot of fabulous things in our sale room because sometimes <laughs> they all in our sale room. But I do a lot of shopping from our sale room. And when I wear those pieces, people yeah. stop me like the sneakers I'm wearing right now. They went to the sale room and people stop me all the time and say, where'd you get those shoes? Well, we joke because everything we like ends up on sale. <laughs> everything we love ends up on the sale room. I if you can't. get something in and I freak out, it's like, oh, uh-huh. it's like, oh well, there oh, it goes to the, the sale, sale room. room. And I have to remind myself of that because sometimes when I'm at market, I think, oh, I can't get that. It's going to go in the sale room. But those are the things that make the store special. Even if you come in yeah. and you don't buy those things, even if you come in and you are shop only Veronica Beard, one of the things that makes it so fun to come to Greta is that you're going to see all these pieces that maybe you wouldn't wear yourself, but you know, sort of give Greta credibility. I just like that if you Google Veronica Beard and you look on Neiman's or Saks or Nordstrom's, you're not seeing the same pieces that are in your store. Exactly. And that's one of the beauties of a line like Veronica Beard, which you can find at all the department stores. It's so big that everybody does end up sort of having different things. The, yeah. The other thing that I love about Greta or that I love about this opportunity is building, helping sort of two different things, helping new designers get their foot in the door, helping them get started, helping them tell their stories. So, I mean, I have, I mean, even if it's a local designer, if it's a small regional designer, people that come to the store and maybe are just getting started, I really thrive on carrying those people in the store, whether or not it's through a trunk show or a pop-up or consignment, or I outright buy it. And you know, there's a woman in town, her name's um, Amani Zama, and she started this line, Amani Z. And she is from Cameroon originally. And she came into the store. She's lived in, in Oklahoma City or the United States since she was like 10. But she came in the store and she had these beautiful handmade wood bags. Mm-hmm. And all of the wood was from Oklahoma. They were all handmade in Oklahoma. They're beautiful. And she literally, she had just gotten the samples, you know, back from the, from the leather worker and she brought them into the store. And I loved her story so much. She's absolutely beautiful. She had put so much care and time and energy into these bags. And I said, okay, Amani, bring the bags to the store and let's see what we can do. And we had a little event and we carried them in the store. She has just launched a new collection where she's really streamlined it and she's worked she's worked out some of the kinks from the first collection but it's those types of designers and people yeah. that I really want to support all about having yeah little, you really you know, do curate these fun. people and bring them here and which, we always have a blast so yeah so we that, do <laughs> we always have a blast with them so that piece I love it the other piece I've always had an intern mm. I think we're on our like fifth intern now and you know Everybody has to have a first job. Yeah. Well, in Route 66, like, that had I not worked first job, right? I don't think I would have been in fashion. And 
Yeah. And everybody needs that opportunity. And, you know, they're always so cute. They're like, do you want me to send your resume? My resume? And I'm like, nah, don't bother with your resume. You you need this to have a resume. Right. And so I... It's You're like, I don't care to, if you got an A in algebra. Right. I don't I really could care less. Yeah. It's And so it's a way for me to sort of stay connected to young people. Yeah. And to help them get a start in whatever it is they want to do in, in their life. And it's always so, so hard to let them go. But to... To have that sort of presence of a young person in the store brings me a, a lot of joy and sense of accomplishment, and that I'm helping them get started. And I did not—I did not mention that I did when I coached field hockey at Cassidy for seven years, and I was the JV field hockey coach when I moved back to Oklahoma City when my kids were littler. And before I had the store, that was literally one of the most fun jobs I've ever had because you learn everything you'd ever yeah. want to know in life from thir- 14 and 15 year old girls. I mean, I learned about gossip girl. I learned what a hashtag was. I mean, I have learned it all. And so, and I had to stop doing that when I owned the store. And now my way to sort of stay connected is through, your is through my interns. Yeah. I love that. So let's talk 10 years from now. Kind of oh, where do you think do. you, where do you see yourself? Where do you see Greta? Where do you see OKC kind of three-parter 10 years from now? Well, let's, my roots really are in Oklahoma. I mean, my, my, Mm -hmm. my grandfather moved here from Arkansas when he was like, when to go to college, he moved here to go to college to OU and my mom's parents grew up here. I mean, everybody is really, we're rooted in Oklahoma. So I have this strong sense of place and of a sense of home in Oklahoma. When I applied to Stanford, the question on our application was what matters to you most and why it came down to Oklahoma is what matters most to me and why. And so even though I had lived all these different places and at the time I thought maybe I would never go home to Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. I wrote my essay on Oklahoma matters to me most. And I really sort of told the story of how my, um, how, the person that I was at the time was really shaped by being from Oklahoma. So I've always had this, this sense that I would have, I would be connected here. I didn't realize I would move home, but I got engaged and Jim lived here. And so we moved home to Oklahoma. And when I moved home, it wasn't really that much different from when I left. Yeah. I think I moved home in 2004. We got married in 2004. I mean, there were a few things that had changed, but really for the most part, it was the same thing. You were a doctor or a lawyer or you were an entrepreneur, or, mm-hmm. you know, an accountant. And so I so hoped that the city would evolve and become a city that I sort of had loved and was used to living in. But I, and I always knew that I wanted to have a piece of that, but I didn't really know how that was going to be. I remember I'd drive down 16th street and look at the Plaza district before it was really what it is now thinking, yeah. God, that would be the best street. And we would, Western was sort of happening, but I'd yeah. drive down Western and think, oh God, Western is the spot. You know, you would drive all over the city and you'd imagine what these neighborhoods could be, but I didn't really know how to get any of these neighborhoods there. Mm-hmm. So now, obviously we have a city that's thriving and vibrant. And I feel like I've been a part of telling its story all along, even if it was just telling its story to my friends in town to say, I found this new place. You need to go there. You know, I, my favorite coffee place is this. So my job was always sort of spreading information about all the things that were happening in the city. And now that I've had Greta for five years, I do feel like I've contributed to the life of the city in that way. But I think that for me getting this opportunity with you to do action city and to tell the story of the city and its people and how, it's people have had effect on the city and how the city has had an effect on them. 
I think for 15 years since I've moved back, I've been looking for that opportunity to make an impact on the city. And I think this has been it is I've had so many people reach out to me saying, Oh my gosh, they don't live here, but they feel connected to the city for, you know, maybe they're from here and they feel connected to the city having listened to the podcast or they are from here and it's, you know, making them even more excited to live here. And it's giving them opportunity to talk to their friends who don't live here and tell them how great this place is. So I'm thrilled that I've had this opportunity. Well, you didn't that, have this opportunity. We created it. Well, we created it. it. That's right. But this, but this, that we created this place. Yeah. To, this dialogue, this dialogue to tell the stories of this city. So I'm in 10 years. I think that um, I'm hoping that the districts that have sort of arisen around the city, Midtown Plaza district, film row, mm-hmm. automobile alley. I hope that those districts continue to grow and thrive and, um, evolve, mm-hmm. but I hope that we aren't, I mean, I know we have the Wheeler district now. I don't want the districts to get out of control. Like there'd be so many. At some point there yeah. is a threshold to where there are too many districts and not enough people. Right. And so I hope that the, that our people support the kind of existing, the existing districts yeah. and but, help well, them really around. Yeah. But I just hope it's not, yeah, we don't you know, need another. We don't one. need another ten yeah. districts, people. Let's let's support let's, like, the, ones beef up the ones let's we beef have. Beef up the ones we yeah. have. I hope that we fill in the density mm-hmm. and that you know the empty land that sort of is around the, our city's core gets built up, and that people move to the city's core, and that we don't continue to sprawl and sprawl and sprawl and sprawl. Yeah, and sprawl. I never understood why nobody went east. Like all of that land mm-hmm. kind of by like where the Oklahoma old hair, like all the yes, news stations now, which yeah. is great. But I never, I under, like right. everybody was going north or south. And I was like, what about like, why can't mm-hmm. we just go like right there? Which I know that they're developing yeah. it, but I'm like, why did that take so long? Well, I think one of the reasons is the Oklahoma City public school system is oh, in shambles. Yeah, and that's true. I think that when I was growing up, obviously everyone moved to Edmond and then everybody moved to Deer Creek and then everybody moved to mm-hmm. um, Piedmont and then they moved to Choctaw and then they moved to, so and then they moved to Moore. So yeah. if the Oklahoma City public school system can figure their business out and they can really improve the school district. I think that is sort of the last holdout to why people don't move into Oklahoma city. I like that is so true because going to school in Texas and seeing their public school systems and like, I mean, I have my best friend in Dallas right now. We're talking her daughters a year and a half. And I was like, so are y'all going to do public school, private school? I mean, they would never do private school. No, because they have such wonderful public yeah. schools. And in my mind, I'm like, that's so strange because I feel like growing up in Oklahoma City, and I, I hope this doesn't come off as not being um, sensitive to other people, but if you had means, you sent your kids to public school or to private school. Yeah, Like it was kind of like you, like, I, and there were a lot of kids in my class whose parents, like they made that was like their big expense was a lot of sacrifice, a lot of sacrifices to make sure that their kid had a good education or they moved to Edmond or they moved to Edmond. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so true. I mean, I think with the addition of John Rex downtown, yeah, John Rex is that really allowed families to move downtown. If we can, I know nothing about how the public school system works, but I do think that that is the piece 
of the puzzle that we don't have down yet. And and I think that I also think that that if you go east of I thirty five, yeah, into northeast Oklahoma City and the twenty third Street uh-huh. district that they're working to build up, I do think that that is sort of the the place that we need to have a district that the entire city supports right that needs to be built up but beyond that stop with the districts <laughs> yeah like just support the ones we have yeah so for greta in 10 years i mean i think i'll be doing this job for a long time i hope that greta remains relevant i mean our average customer let's say is 30 to 50. Okay. I mean, obviously we sell all the way down to 13 year olds because we have some hot brands that the 13 year olds <laughs> like, and we sell all the way to 80 year olds, but our, our, our target customer is 30 to 50. I do not want our target customer to age as I age. I want the target customer to remain 30 to 50. Yeah. So that when I'm 70, it's not 70 year olds shopping at Greta, that it's still 30 to 50 year olds. So how do we remain relevant with that, with that sort of 30 to 50 year old fashion forward girl who travels, doesn't take herself too seriously and isn't afraid to try a new look, Yeah, not a new trend because I don't necessarily want to be trendy, but so I want Greta to remain relevant I with think that, that age group. Yeah, I think your clothes can be accidentally trendy in the sense of like, you know, we love a puff sleeve right, right now and things like that. But I don't think that you're like, oh, this year's trend is right. this color. I exactly. have to get this color. If somebody comes and is like, Catherine, what are the fall trends? You're like, it whatever you like. I'm really mad who works on Tuesdays, <laughs> but I'm like, I don't have any idea what the fall trends are. I just pick out what I like and find designers that I like and support them. And so I hope yeah. that it's on trend, but I'm not searching out the trendy things so, which in a lot of the times you pick things like those um my step flare oh, jeans yes. mm-hmm. and now like it, i mean it was trendy like five years ago sort of or yes. kind of ahead of the trend and now it's like every jean it's everything like in that. fact today i'm wearing a like a sort of ankle lengthed flared like Fitted to the knee and flared down yeah. jean. I haven't worn it in three years. It, because it's, yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. I, I think this is this, this is the this look. Is happening. This is yeah. the look. So I, I hope that I still want to own Greta in 10 years. I mean, I can't. I, I hope that will. Greta grows. We're adding on categories. Like in the spring, we're adding athleisure. And so, my, my. and I, I do have a vision for the store that would be totally different from what you would imagine your typical retail store being. I hope that one day I can bring that to fruition. So we'll see. Um, and then what's the other thing for Oklahoma City? For, for Except for you personally. Oh, guess what? In 10 years, my kids will be in college. In 10 years, Neely will be out of college. Gracie will be a senior in college. So guess what? I'm going to just live it up. I was going to say you're going to travel. I'm going to quit paying. Oh, you know what? In 10 years, I will quit paying for these children. It'll yeah. Be over. Uh, you so, say that until they go to grad school. Until they go to grad school, or, yeah. exactly. I hope they do go to grad school, but we'll see. Okay, so you pick up your friend from the airport. You're, I, I'm trying to like elongate the question because you always do in such a beautiful way, but <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm like about to just go right for it. Go for it. Um, where do you take them first? Okay, I'm going to give this a two-part answer because yeah. I like to drag everything out. Of course. So the impetus for this question is my mom. Oh. I don't know if I've ever really told no. this. Okay, so it's my mom. So my mom growing up 
we had to go to a lot of different places for swimming meets. My sister was a gymnast, went for gymnastics meets, a lot of little towns all over the place. And she used to make us, we would get to a little town, Ponca City, um, Carbondale, Illinois, whatever. And we would, in between like prelims and finals, she would have us out driving around, going to the museums, finding the cool parts of the city, finding she was convinced that every city has something great to offer, that there is some little gem in every single city, town, whatever you want to call it, that you could find. I love that so and much. And it drove us crazy. We now call it getting Lulu'd. So you <sighs> get in the car with her and she like basically locks the doors and kidnaps you and drives you all over creation, like trying to you know find whatever, the local Hispanic grocery store, or the whatever. And so at the <sighs> time, I didn't realize that that would really sort of define my life. I mean, yeah. I, one of my passions is searching for things that maybe other people don't know about and for and for finding the diamond in the rough. And so when people would come visit Oklahoma City, she would Lulu them and she, we would take them to all the hot spots. Okay. So here was our hot spot list that my mom this was this has been going on for 40 years. Yeah. The stockyards. Okay. Because it said everything that Oklahoma City was about. It it showed our roots. You know, you could really get the cowboy feel down there. I mean, Cattleman's was still open. Langston's was there. Teeners was there. I mean, all the things that are still Wait, there were there. I was going to say, Cattleman's, is it not open? No, it is. No, right? but I mean, it was there then. Whatever. Gotcha, gotcha. So we'd go to the stockyards. Yeah. We would go to the Myriad Gardens, which is totally different now from the way, but the Crystal Bridge yeah, was there. Yeah, yeah. She would make us take people to the Crystal Bridges. <laughs> and we would go to Johnny's. Okay, so this was like... That was our route of what we showed people of Oklahoma City. Now, Johnny's is sort of a love-hate relationship. You almost have to be from Oklahoma to really love it. That's my my brother. I think if I asked him this question, I think his first stop would be Johnny's. Would you say Johnny's? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that that is... And that's where... I mean, that was our stop. And so I can remember that anyone that came to visit, we would, we would make that loop. So now the loop that we make is in a way similar, but in a way totally different. Yeah. Where are you going? Um, I mean, I think that I go to all my places of all the people we've had on the show. Right? Yeah. I, mean, I know it's like, those are my loves. I mean, yeah. I tell everyone I know to go, go to commonplace books. Mm-hmm. I would definitely take them to salt and water because here's the thing about these places. All the places that I want to take people to are places that could exist anywhere. Yeah. There, if it was in San Francisco, I'd take them there. If it was in New York, I'd take them there. Mm-hmm. And so they, they would survive no matter what. It's not just like a, you know, second rate bookstore that just happens to be in Oklahoma City, right? It's a no, top it's like tier a, yeah, bookstore exactly. that you could put anywhere in the world and people would go to it. So yeah. And Chelsea's curation of salt and water is insane. Is insane. So I mean yeah. I've never been to a store like that anywhere in the world. So I mean I think obviously I would take them to Greta. I would take them to Commonplace. When the Commonplace kitchen was open, I would have taken them to the Commonplace kitchen definitely to salt and water. I would take him to the Jones. I love going to the Jones. Always love the Metro as we have discussed. We went there Friday. Oh, I'm taking Jim on Tuesday for, for our Christmas dinner for just Aww, the two of us. That's fun. Um, I mean, God, where else? Oh, I love by to the go way, to Frida. I love to go to yeah. Oso. Oh, Frida. I know we don't give Frida enough love. Frida is so delicious. So good. I, I mean, I would take him to all the districts. I mean, yeah, I you, really would. We'd go to Midtown. Yeah. We'd go to, 
The Paseo, which is the original, by the way, the Paseo really was a district when we were growing up. And it's now obviously completely hopping. But it was when I was growing up, it was a hot spot too. So, I mean, Paseo Arts Festival is like one of my favorites. Oh, do you know I've never been? Maybe a long time ago we went. I've oh, never really? been. I gotta get out and about with that. You know what else? I would definitely, I would still take them driving past the Myriad Gardens. Yeah. And we would go to Scissor Tail Park. Yeah, Scissor Tail. I'm, I'm just like everybody else. Take them to all the spots. Mm-hmm. I would take them to my coffee shop. Oh, wait. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm gonna plug my coffee shop. What is it? Britain, Zero Tolerance? It's called Zero Tolerance. It's at Britain and Western. In a little strip that also could become a district. It's called, it's been there forever. Britain. I think I they're trying called. to revive it. I think they're trying to revive it. And yeah. so these, this family owns this coffee shop. It's really a chocolate shop. They roast the cacao beans from scratch. And by the way, really nobody does this. Yeah. It's the best chocolate I've ever eaten. I love their coffee. So I would take them to zero tolerance. Yeah. That's such a good idea. And you know, that's a hole in the wall. Like. Nobody knows Nobody about it knows yet. Nobody knows about it yet. I mean, it's getting busier because I tell every person I know. <laughs> but you know, you, it used to be I could take somebody on the Oklahoma City tour in half a day. Yeah. Now I need like five days. Yeah, you really I, could. I need you here, not just for an afternoon. I need you for five days and we are going to go hit all the hot spots. I think what here. we need to do is make a, a shopping guide too. We need a list. We're I know. Gonna, that's that's going to be on our website. I'm We're saying it out loud, that. so we'll actually do it. That's how we have to do it. Oh, say it out loud. Yeah, but we will. We'll make like a... A guide, a guide for Oklahoma City, and it's going to be. Well, by the way, non-sponsored, non-sponsored. These are places we love and that we would go to ourselves. And th- what we're going to do is take every guest that talks about what their day is or where they. Yeah, take and we'll plug friend. it into their guide. We're plug it into yeah. what, they, what say they say into our guide. Yeah, that's such a good idea. Oh gosh, that's a 2021 plan, Nimi. Yeah, I think. I mean, I'm ready for 2021. Are you? I am. You know. Here's the thing. I have to prepare myself for the fact that it's really not going to be that much different from 2020 to start out with. Yeah, I'm hopeful, too. I think 2021 will be a great year. I think there's just, yeah. I try to think that every year is going to be a great year. I do, too. And also, like, I I know this isn't going to be a popular opinion, but I'm kind of, I hate this, like, 2020 hate train. It's like, oh, 2020. And I'm like, let's just get over it. Let's move on. Let's move on. We're moving on. And And it's been a lot of time with my family in 2019 is when it started. Is when it started. I just would like to. It's going to finish and throw that out. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to a new year. <sighs> yeah, I am too. I just, I feel like last year was such a wild year in the sense of like, I had a baby, I turned 30, like all these big life monumental things sort of happened. Obviously COVID, it was like a lot of learning. And this year I'm kind of like, can I chill? Can we just like be for a year? I think you can. As long okay. as you decide not to have another baby in 2021. Oh. Let's <laughs> Knock on wood, people. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, not yet. Well, Emmy, I've loved this. I know. I've loved our talk. I'm sorry that I talked for so long. Whatever. It's fun. It's fun. Even if we cut half of it out, it's still, yeah, it's it's great. still great. It. Richard's asleep, but other than that, uh, we're well, <laughs> we before, bored Richard to tears. Before we stop, I mean, I know since you have a, an actual business to kind of plug, where can people find Greta? People can find Greta on Instagram, which is where we do our best work at Greta Sloan. Now, Greta has two T's and Sloan has an E at the end, which for some reason is very complicated. And then they can find us online at GretaSloan.com. Now, just wait, like... It is not two updated. or three weeks. Okay. Before you go to our <laughs> website, I'd like to say that actually, it is like by the time the, stepchild. Oh yeah. Yeah. By the time, I mean, we'll, I'd say like end of January where it's going to, I've got my current intern, Sahanya working on it. She's amazing. She goes to Vanderbilt. She's going to have it in tip top shape. So then 
I mean, you can go to Facebook, but as yeah. we've said before, I deleted right? mine. Oh my God. I, if I could delete mine, I would, I can't I I don't know who goes to Facebook. But I just, the other day I like looked at the like app on my phone and I was like, I mean, I deleted my God, account. So Maybe I should, should I get up some guy? Here's the problem. I don't think Instagram works. If I don't have my face. It's a whole, it's all connected. Oh, my Instagram still works. It's a whole nother topic, but it no, does no, still work. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. So maybe, I don't know if my business, I don't know, but you I'm can gonna... also deactivate your account okay. instead of deleting it. Oh, maybe I'll do that. Yeah. And it's just, and then it's just not active. So don't whatever. be mad at me if you can't find Greta Sun on Facebook, but you can also, you can send us a message. You can call the store. We do a lot of selling over Instagram. Yeah. And the we phone can send something in the mail, whatever. Yeah. Well, happy 2021, everybody. Happy 2021. Wishing everybody a happy new year. Happy new year. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. We truly appreciate your listening to these stories. You can find us on Instagram at ActionCityOKC or for business inquiries, email us at hello at ActionCityOKC.com. Action City is produced by Blacken Studios. You can find the studio on Instagram and Facebook at Blacken Studios. Creative services provided by Ranger Creative. Music written and performed by Kansas City Bankroll.